0: Welcome to a special bonus episode of the Texas Time Capsule Podcast. It's just myself, Steven, today, and my co host, Ben. Hi there. Because we got such a great reaction from this latest episode five, The Freedom Fighter, we thought it would be a good idea to number one, provide additional information that we may have not gotten to, and we had some questions from the audience that we wanted to address. This was such a great story, it was hard to get to it all in one episode. So we're just going to take 10 or 15 minutes here to discuss some of the interesting facts that we may not have mentioned during the actual episode. So Ben, what do you think it was about episode five, The Freedom Fighter, that elicited such a strong, positive interest from our audience?
1: Well, I think his story is such a, an inspiring story. It's so full of exciting moments. Um, and it's it was a really special interview that we actually had to um, cut down in time because it, it just went on so long. It's such a, a, a great story with so many twists and turns that uh, many people were left wanting more.
0: Absolutely. And... You're right. We we had a lot more content, but we did condense it. I mean, it was probably what you guys heard in the inter- interview portion was probably 20% of the entire interview. So we're going to get to some of that right now in this bonus episode. Uh, we're also going to answer some of the questions that were submitted on Instagram at Texas Time Capsule. And thank you to everyone who got on there and put questions in the comment section. So let's go ahead and get to those questions right now. Ben's going to throw the questions out, and then I'm going to try to answer as best I can based off the information we have.
1: Yeah, so one of the questions um, to get started with was how, how was Frank recruited by the CIA in Chicago? And I really think that is a, an interesting point to elaborate on um, going back to the story. What what can you say about that, Stephen? How was he recruited by the CIA in Chicago?
0: Yeah, so we don't know exactly who the individual was that gave that speech in Chicago that impacted Frank so much that he became the first person in Chicago to sign up for the operation. But we do know that the CIA was instituting several different recruiting efforts across the country, especially in cities where there were high populations of Cuban nationals. I mean, obviously the CIA was doing a lot of clandestine activities at the time, and it wasn't all being funded through public money, so they secured funds through other means. One of the interesting parts about this is George H.W. Bush, Bush 41, was actually working at the CIA at the time, and there's evidence to suggest that he secured funding for a lot of these CIA missions from the Texas oil businessmen at the time. So that was kind of like his role. So just an interesting tidbit there. Many times the CIA worked through intermediaries. So people like Frank weren't dealing directly with the CIA. They were dealing with some organization that act as a go-between essentially.
1: That's interesting stuff, Stephen. Uh, The next question uh, has to do with Frank's time in prison. Um, We wanted to understand how he was compensated for the suffering he went through during that time in uh, the Cuban prison. He spent almost two years there, and uh, we wanted to understand how he recovered from that and who helped him. Right. I
0: want to make sure people understand, because we didn't have time to cover all of this in the original episode. When Frank's brigade was captured, Castro gave the prisoners the opportunity to basically buy their way out of the prison sentence. They could pay a ransom, and the way the ransom was structured, it was divided up by socioeconomic class, So the highest class was a $100,000 ransom, the middle tier was $50,000, and the lower tier was $25,000. Frank was aware of one prisoner that did pay the ransom. He was a British paratrooper, and the British government actually was the one that paid the ransom, and it was the $100,000. And he paid the ransom and did not have to go to prison. It was just another way for Castro to extort money from all of this. So as far as compensation goes, and <laughs> they didn't really refer to it as compensation. Frank told me that it was basically more of an allowance because the CIA didn't, this was all off the books. So they didn't want to refer to it as compensation, but I digress. Frank did receive money for the time he was in the operation and the time he spent in prison. He was, I think total it was about 20 months, and they paid him $225 per month since he was single. Now, if you had a a wife and children, I think you got a little bit more. Because he was single at the time, he received $225 a month. When it was all said and done, I believe he told me he had about $16,000, a lot of which he sent to his family in Cuba, and then obviously some he, he kept for himself.
1: Eventually, Frank was released from prison. He made his way back to the United States and um, continued living there. What we wanted to we wanted to clear something up though was: uh, Has Frank ever been back to Cuba?
0: Yeah, and we kind of skimmed over this in the original episode. So thank you for this question. When Frank was released from prison, he went to a meeting, and in that meeting, the Cuban government confiscated his Cuban passport and he was giving a United States passport at the time he also said that the uh, he also said that Castro gave the prisoners like himself nice clothes to wear on the day of their release so that when the cameras in the United States took pictures of them it would make it look like he treated them well during their time in prison even though obviously he didn't and one other thing and I promise I'm gonna answer this question. (laughs) But on our Instagram page, we posted a picture of the Orange Bowl ceremony for the prisoners who were released from the Bay of Pigs invasion. And you see President Kennedy there. And it was a ceremony they did. Frank was present at the ceremony. In fact, he told me he was number 31 in line. So I guess they lined up the prisoners and he was number 31 in order. And he was on the field in front of the stage. He said Kennedy walked 10 feet in front of him at
1: one point. So that was kind of neat. I wonder if we could find those photos.
0: Yeah, the pictures I could find, I showed to him. And he recognized people in the pictures, but there wasn't one of him. (laughs) Okay. So let me actually answer the question now. So Frank was released in prison. He went to Miami. And it was a few days after that. His wife was able to get on that merchandising ship, if you remember from the story, and she would come three days later. But his wife only had a matter of hours. When she found out, found out that that ship was there, she only had a matter of hours to d- decide whether or not to board the ship. In fact, she didn't even have time to inform her parents she was leaving. She had to leave a note with her neighbors And then they gave the letter to her parents. And this was all with not knowing when she would see her parents again. And as it turned out, it would be 17 years before she was able to go back and visit her parents. They tried to request permission because every time you have to ask permission when you go back there. But Frank's permission was always declined. They allowed his wife to go back, but they would always decline his, his permission. And he didn't have the passport because they revoked his passport. Now, his wife also told me when she went back to visit 17 years later to see her parents, her mother had not sat at their kitchen table since she left. Because it was so painful for her not to have her entire family there, she did not sit at their kitchen table until her daughter Hilda came back 17 years later.
1: It's a sad story.
0: One other quick story about life in Cuba. Frank's daughter went back to visit Cuba sometime in the 1990s. She was staying at a hotel with her boyfriend at the time. They had ventured out and she returned to the hotel by herself without her boyfriend. They would not let her back into the hotel. You see, in Cuba, the hotel is reserved for tourists. They don't let Cuban locals in the hotel. And Frank's daughter still looked Cuban. Even though she was American and born in the United States, she still looked Cuban. So it wasn't until she started speaking English to the attendant at the hotel when he finally let her back into the hotel since her husband wasn't with her.
1: Another interesting question that it came up is um, about the current events in Cuba. What does Frank think about what's happening right now? in his home country, um, the current president, uh, Miguel Diaz-Canel, what is happening with his administration and what does Frank think about the, the future?
0: Well, the short answer is he's not very optimistic about Diaz-Canel bringing forth more democratic change to Cuba, mostly because Díaz Canel was handpicked by Raul Castro, who was Fidel Castro's brother, to be his successor. And he's been a communist loyalist for his entire life. So that's probably the reason Frank's not very optimistic about it. But let's talk a little bit about life in Cuba over the past couple decades. When the Soviet Union fell in the late 1980s, early 1990s, It was a very difficult time for the Cuban population. Uh, Many of them starved to death because they were dependent in so many ways on the Soviet Union. Now, one of the integral moments that has brought forth some positive change, Pope John Paul II visited Cuba in 1998 and met with Fidel Castro. And after that meeting, more of the churches were reopened and there were some other semi-democratic steps taken, but, you know, many of the communist principles remain intact today. For example, to this day, it will get you a five-year prison sentence in Cuba if you kill a cow. All of the livestock belongs to the Cuban government, so you're not allowed to kill a cow. They reserve the beef for the tourists, so most Cuban residents have never, they don't get to eat beef very often, if at all. There was a story about one time uh, a herd of cattle was crossing uh, railroad tracks and they got hit by a train and it killed several of the cows and the locals ran over there with machetes and sliced up the beef. See, they had to get there before the government officials got there because they would have taken the cow away.
1: That's rough. It sounds like the, uh, the communist ways are going to last for quite some time. Unfortunately, yes, mm-hmm. it seems that way. So for our last question, we had a little bit of a, a fun question. We wanted to know what kind of food would Frank recommend in Houston? What's the best Cuban food in Houston? He said there used to be a lot
0: more Cuban restaurants in Houston, but the one that's still open that they enjoy the most is called Cafe Paquette. It's off of – it's kind of Bissonette and Chimney Rock. I've you, never been
1: there. Have you? Yeah,
0: it's kind of like Bel Air area. It was originally a Cuban market. It opened as a Cuban market in the 1970s, and then they added on a restaurant, so the restaurant's still operational. Uh, my favorite is the Plantanus Maduros, the – The fried bananas are so good. But he said that is the place in Houston that he would recommend. It would be Cafe Pican. Maybe we can
1: go there and get a a Bacardi drink.
0: Yeah, man. Field trip. They have a full bar, so we're good. Great. So that's going to wrap it up for our bonus episode. Thank you again to everyone who submitted the questions. And thanks to all of you for listening. Join us next time when we open up another Texas Time Capsule.